a CYP Club podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to CYP Voiced. I'm your host, Anthony Granitsis. Today, we're here for the first career segment of CYP Voiced, and I'm very excited to introduce our co-host, Tia Ravel. Tia, welcome on. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me, Anthony. Of course, Tia. I am super excited for the show we have set up for today. We are excited to introduce our first sponsor, Social Ventures, who is sponsoring this episode as well as a series of episodes to come later on in the series. So that being said, today we have the CEO of Social Ventures, Alan Proctor, to talk to us about his career, Social Ventures, and the work that Social Enterprise is doing in Columbus. Alan, welcome on. We're so excited to have you. It's my pleasure, and I'm kind of excited to talk to a group of young professionals because I think social enterprise is what energizes them. I completely agree, Alan. I personally am very um, passionate about social enterprise. As a founder of a social enterprise myself, um, this is something I focus a lot on, so I'm glad we can speak to you a bit about it today. Um, But first, start by telling us about your career. There's definitely a financial theme throughout your experience. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, how far back should we go? While I was trained in building forecasting models, uh, the big change in my career path was I was asked to be in a pro bono consulting group that the Federal Reserve had set up to advise New York City and New York State on financial challenges. And that worked out very well um, to the point that um, Uh, The city of New York asked me to be seconded over to be their associate budget director, which ultimately became, I became a deputy budget director. What's really tied that together is one of the scarce scarce skills in the world is to be able to uh, exist at a fine level of detail, but be able to tell a story at 40,000 feet. And particularly, and this is how it started for me, was learning how to use financial information to uh, provide options for major decision makers. And we developed a technique working for um, the mayor of New York, who was Ed Koch at the time, to be able to use uh, finance and forecasting as a way for them to understand the risks of different options they could take for them to make the decision, not for us to make the decision. Um, That ultimately led into um, uh, becoming the head of the Financial Control Board, which is the receiver for New York City and was an opportunity to really be an intermediary uh, between the unions and the city and the state and the business community and um, to help them to kind of understand the implications of different options um, using finance as uh, the body of fact. So um, I was asked to join the faculty of the Kennedy School of Government at Harvard University, which lasted one semester. Because of what I did, the president of the university asked me to be the CFO. So I did, and that worked out pretty well. But there are better places to be in the world than Harvard University. And so I was, recruited to come to Columbus to fix a corrupt pension fund. I thought it would be two years, it took four. 
And um, our goal was fundamentally to uh, create uh, an armistice uh, between the pension fund and the legislature and the press, Columbus Dispatch. So once again, one of my main jobs was to be able to take the numbers and tell a story and fit it into how those players thought the world should work. <laughs> um, we fixed everything and believe it or not, um, once you've fixed a pension fund, it's not so interesting anymore. And so um, I discovered that Columbus is what I call the Venus flytrap city. Extremely hard to attract people, but once they're there, they don't wanna leave. And that's what my family said. So I hung out my shingle um, to work on financial issues for companies. After about a year or two, um, I found that the nonprofits were far more interesting and challenging than uh, a conventional business. So I really started focusing on that and particularly on um, nonprofits that were in trouble. Well, one of the things I noticed was uh, apparently in 2001 and 2008, and now again in 2020, uh, Columbus hadn't encountered economic recessions before. And what I noticed was in those, in those instances that um, the nonprofits were actually cutting back their services to the needy. And that, that's not why we have nonprofits. We want, we want them to be able to provide reliable, sustainable services. And the ones that were able to be reliable and sustainable were the um, nonprofits that had sizable earned revenue activities. And um, that was now called social enterprise. So this whole concept of running a business to earn money to support a social mission started in the, in the nonprofit sector. Uh, as a way to kind of uh, support what they do. So in early 2014, we formed uh, an advisory board of business leaders and within a very short period of time, they said, you need to form an organization. So in the summer of 2014, we launched what's now called Social Ventures. And it's evolved since then. Um, we had very few social enterprises then. Now we have over a hundred. Uh, Almost half of them are for-profit businesses as opposed to nonprofits that started uh, to, uh, as an earned revenue strategy. Um, and now the thing that I'm most excited about is our social enterprises whose social impact is whom they employ, uh, formerly incarcerated, recovering addicts, uh, survivors of trafficking, chronically homeless, uh, people on the autism spectrum. These social enterprises are now the largest creator of jobs for these people facing barriers. Yeah. So that's the financial theme. How do you observe a financial pattern and try to turn it into policy making? And like me, you're a problem solver. Well, a problem solver, but also a persuader. Um, I I think since since we started in 2014, um, there is a far more acceptance of social enterprise than there was when we started. And um, uh, particularly the, you know, your generation gets it. Uh, the, the people that have to be <laughs> persuaded are the baby boomers. 
Um, and I think we've made a lot of progress with the boomers. I think it's pretty cool how we've seen the evolution of social enterprise, both from a founder and a consumer standpoint. So thank you for pointing that out. Uh, I think social enterprise is a very complex topic. Would you mind breaking it down a little bit? Yeah, I, I would like to talk a little bit about that because the word social enterprise is being used by too many people for too many things. Mm -hmm. um, uh, social enterprise, as we like to define it, is a business that was founded primarily to create a social mission. Um, we have things of conscious capitalism. We have uh, corporate social responsibility. Um, frankly, in the investment world, uh, they are co-opting the term for what really is ESG investment, environmental social governance. So what, what we say is a social enterprise, if a social enterprise, if a business rather, is committed to channeling its profits to support a mission or a 501c3 charitable organization, they need to be channeling more than 50% of their profits because then it has a meaningful impact on their business. Um, if you just donate, you know, uh, you know, uh, if Pepsi donates a million dollars, that has no meaningful impact on their business. It's a wonderful thing and they're generous, but they're not a social enterprise, nor would they claim to be. And I think a lot of the corporations in town who are very generous um, are doing what they can, but it is not why they were formed. Uh, so, so a traditional venture also only has to worry about selling goods and services. A social enterprise actually is kind of like two businesses because it not only has to sell a good and service, it has to manage the social impact. So um, uh, a fair number of our social enterprises are focused on employment. That's pretty straightforward, but frankly, um, providing transportation, childcare, uh, financial literacy, helping setting up bank accounts, um, dealing with um, uh, drug addictions, all of that costs money. It's harder to employ these, more expensive to employ these people. Regardless of what their salary is, you're spending a lot of money on top of that. And in, in addition, um, a fair number of uh, social enterprises have kind of started in the buy one, give one path. Well, that's pretty significant because A, it means you're giving away half of what you produce. That's a big deal. But what we've also learned since from our, watching our social enterprises evolve is it's a whole different, a second distribution channel. And it's different. Um, for Bombas to give away socks to the homeless requires a different distribution channel than selling socks to people like us. Mm -hmm. That's more expensive and it's more complicated. And uh, that's why we really, the reason we're so picky about our definition of social enterprise is because these businesses really need a special level of support and advocacy. You know, this is really important because a lot of businesses are starting to give back, but that doesn't necessarily make them social enterprises. A social entrepreneur definitely needs that additional level of uh, support and advocacy, especially when it comes to running what is essentially two different distribution channels between the consumer and the beneficiary. It reminds me a lot of that TED talk from Simon Sinek about it comes down to why. Like, why do they exist and why do they do what they do? Yeah, Tia, that's a really good call out. Social entrepreneurs say it all the time. I wish that my business would go under. And I know that sounds really interesting and complex coming from an entrepreneur, but 
When you think about it, if a social enterprise is there to advocate for a social mission and to advocate for a cause, if that cause is no longer necessary to advocate for, then there is no need for that social enterprise. So that's also another distinguisher between what makes a social enterprise and what makes a traditionally capitalistic venture. So that's a great call out. Uh, Alan, I'd like to kind of turn to you. Speaking of all this social enterprise talk and given that you're so invested in that scene, what is one social enterprise or one or two social enterprises that you think are worth keeping an eye on? What's really standing out to you today? Well, I, I think um, there are, uh, it, you're asking me to pick one, that's not fair. Right. But so I'll, um, I think one of the um, interesting ones right now, uh, let me take a step back. Um, to create a meaningful impact fundamentally means you're community oriented and you're locally focused. You know, and because you could, if you spread yourself nationally, it'll be a mile wide and an inch deep and it won't make any difference. Mm -hmm. But we have a very interesting social enterprise called Honest Jobs that is trying to create multiple local impacts nationally. And it'll be interesting to see if that model really gets traction. Mm -hmm. um, for the most part, uh, our nation is kind of in love with fast growing companies that are large and get a lot of publicity. But if, and they have a pejorative term for locally focused businesses, they call them lifestyle companies. But for the most part, to make a difference in a community, it's only gonna be done by the lifestyle company. So let's kind of drop that name, okay? And um, uh, those that are doing a lot locally and have been very innovative, one is Freedom a la carte. Uh, they've created a partnership with the catch court judicial system, which is very innovative. They've just uh, opened their first permanent uh, brick location on the spring just off fourth yes. um, in the middle of a pandemic. Um, so I, I think uh, watching them, they've been very persistent. They're working with a, a very deserving population, uh, mm -hmm. survivors of trafficking. I think the other, the, there's two more that I think are worth watching because they're taking a very different approach. One of the things, one of the, things the young professionals have done uh, to their employers is create a tremendous pressure for to show that the companies have some relevance to the community. Mm -hmm. And one of the big areas is, right. is corporate organized volunteer programs. We have two social enterprises that are trying very different approaches. One is Point and the mm -hmm. other is BESA. Yes. And Both. I think watching which approach um, is most successful in what types of activities um, will be really interesting to watch. Yeah, and you mentioned Point and Bessa. And so for reference, Point is like an online volunteering hub that you can access through an app, whereas Bessa helps companies in the community get invested through volunteering opportunities and, and things like that. Uh, that's generally true. Bessa started focusing on individuals, which it still does, but it has um, a social enterprise component, Bessa Promise, where they help companies to um, uh, to organize uh, corporate groups uh, to volunteer. They have also have a, a, a grant platform uh, that companies have and um, they are using um, so that a company can kind of have a better able ability to describe what they do. 
we donate money and we had all these volunteer hours. And then they, they use that income to support their individual program. Uh, point, um, I think of it as a, an app-based volunteer program. Very different yeah. approach, okay. very different approach. Yeah, Point became kind of important during the pandemic when a lot of people started spending more time at home. Uh, they switched and made that pivot to the online format. And I think that Point was right there to do that with people. Um, it gave everybody an opportunity to find ways to give back and find ways to volunteer uh, while being safe at home and, and while, you know, taking that social distance from other opportunities. Well, I think also um, Point, uh, one of the real problems for nonprofits and volunteers during the pandemic was the isolation. Right. And um, yeah. uh, corporate organized volunteerism fundamentally was get 20 people in one location to do one thing. And that would made it real hard though. I think BESA really has rallied uh, in the past year to really be a leader in some uh, special fundraising and ad advocacy programs. The Columbus Foundation Be Kind program mm -hmm. fundamentally was created by BESA. Right. Well, in the, the concept was, obviously the Columbus Foundation <laughs> did a lot of work. So you've definitely had some interesting experiences in a varied and impressive career. Um, so with Social Ventures, you have found yourself doing a lot of good for the community. Now, for the young professional that you were just mentioning, like who wants to be financially secure so that they can pay their bills, because everybody enjoys that, um, but successful in their career, but also wants to do good for the community, like what recommendations would you have? Well, you know, um, this is actually a... Um a very hotly debated item. There is one side, um, largely out of what I'd call Silicon Valley billionaires, that says, if you want to influence the world, uh, focus on building a big company, making a lot of money, then you can fund the nonprofit and you can tell the nonprofit to do, you can, you can run it. The downside of that is it means you're focusing on uh, exclusively on business through your 20s, 30s, 40s, and maybe even 50s. And um, I, throughout my career, I have been fascinated about the number of people in their mid 40s who say, I'm tired of just making money. I want there to be some more meaning in my life. So the other side of the debate is why wait? And how much do you really need? You know, how much do you, money do you really need to be able to feel secure, pay your bills and such? Um, the, uh, um, I, it, this has been an issue in the nonprofit community for a long time where People say, well, nonprofits just get second rate people who can't, you know, command a high salary. And that's just silly and nonsense because people who work in social enterprise or who work in nonprofits believe that the self-satisfaction you get of making a difference in the world is just as important and more important than counting how much money is in your bank account. And um, unfortunately, in America, that is a tough argument. Mm -hmm. uh, we, are, we are a competitive company. 
that um, oftentimes uses salary as a measure of worth. And then I feel like there's a lack of education too. If you don't make good financial decisions when you're really early in your adult life, that can cripple you in the money sector for many, many years. You know, there's a, a book called um, um, uh, the, the Millionaire Next Door. And it's a story it written about 30 years ago. And it, the people who are really millionaires are people who didn't spend money, not who made them a lot of money. Right. And um, uh, my car is a 2006 car, you know? Why do I need a new car? Why do I need a Tesla, you know? Um, you know, if I want a Tesla, I have to make more money. Um, and I have made more money in the past, that's true. But um, uh, there have always been satisfaction surveys because everyone says, I want to feel safe and secure. How much do you really need to feel comfortable? And rarely has that ever been more than $80,000 a year. Mm -hmm. And, um, but a lot of people are aiming for six figure, seven figure salaries, you know, or they're uh, aiming at starting a new business that will be, uh, um, you know, be sold for 250 million and they'll be rich and then they can do something good. Um, I, I think the real, the real issue is what, what's important to you in life? What does financial security mean? And actually that's kind of been hard to think about during the pandemic, <laughs> you know? Um, do you have a job? That's pretty amazing. Um, uh, is your job satisfying, you know, when it's remote or not? Um, uh, it's, uh, but I'd say that the, 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 what I really recommend is, is for someone to be honest with themselves. Mm -hmm. What, 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 what is, what is they, what do they believe life is about? And on the financial side, what really is necessary for them to feel that they are not vulnerable, sure. you know? And that's hard because, you know, if you say you have a million dollars, you can say, I feel a lot less vulnerable than if I had $50,000 or $10,000. But uh, the reality is um, uh, you, you can always worry about something, mm -hmm. but what, what <laughs> will make you feel good about what you did the prior year? Fulfillment is definitely a key here. Uh, a lot of people aren't feeling fulfilled. I was one of those people, especially when we started working from home. I found that my career was, it wasn't doing what I wanted to accomplish in life, which was leave that impact. Uh, and Tia mentioned it earlier, a lot of young people feel the need to make that difference and feel the need to make that impact. So a lot of people are unfulfilled. Uh, and they're not necessarily able to give back to charity because a lot of people are also living paycheck to paycheck. So we find ourselves in this very unique position where it's saying we want to make a difference, we want to leave an impact, but we don't have the means to do so. Um, and I don't necessarily think that the answer for everybody is to start a social enterprise. So Alan, for people who don't have the capital, the time, the paycheck, to you know, make that difference, how can they get invested with already established social enterprises to give and make an impact? Well, what I love about social enterprise is it provides more ways to make a difference. In the traditional nonprofit model, you have only two options, volunteer or make a donation. 
-hmm. Well, if you're a young professional, you're not ready to write $5,000 checks. You're just not. (laughs) Um, So you say, what can I do? Okay, I'll volunteer. And most of those volunteer opportunities are stuffing envelopes, raking grass, or doing, doing things with your hands. What I love about social enterprise is, yes, you can donate because still half of ours are 501c3s, or we have a lot more non-charitable ways to give money like a GoFundMe thing. But the volunteer opportunities become help, help us review our business plan, help us put together a marketing approach. Um, we had a, a, a Can't Stop Columbus group working with us uh, that helped us really revamp our, um, our website so we could really start capturing data. Because when we had on-site events, we knew who we were connecting, but when everything's virtual, you, it's harder to know. You know. It's like when you're on the radio, is anybody out there? And um, so it has some uh, volunteer opportunities to use your, your skills, um, with your brain, which I think is wonderful. And then it adds two more things. One is choosing to buy products from a social enterprise creates impact. And it doesn't, you're not talking about $5,000, you're talking about where do you buy a cup of coffee? Who do you buy candles from? Um, when, you, when, you, when you have a, 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 a meeting at work, where do you get your box lunches from? Mm-hmm. Um, if, if you're lucky enough to have a, your own apartment or house, who does your painting? If you want to have someone mow your grass, who is mowing your grass? I mean, it just goes on and on and on. So the money you're spending already can make a difference. Right. You know, it's just, it's just wonderful. And we have a long ways to go for people to think of buying social. And that's why we do a lot at Social Ventures to try to create more ways to expose people to social enterprises, whether it's our website, Instagram series, metropreneur articles, events, um, you know, just can we start getting it to the front of people's minds? Um, you know, we even started an e-commerce platform where you can buy their products. Then the fourth thing is you can, you can invest, um, which is what we're trying to get the boomers. And we actually launched a, an investment fund in 2017, Social Ventures Fund, to make it easier for people who are in the position of investing to be able to invest in a social enterprise. Because what was happening before was the social enterprise had to meet with each person individually or, or the investor had to start talking to a bunch of social enterprises and they were all duplicating the same thing and we could kind of centralize it. So there's four ways that our community can create impact that the nonprofit sector could only provide two. And I think that's the potential and that's why I agree with you when you said uh, social enterprise will ultimately become a dominant business model. But we have a long ways to go. Um, I'd say it's still, it's still um, an under the radar um, sector. Right. I, there's no government programs that support it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that is remains to be seen. Yeah, I really hope that we can start seeing more assistance for social enterprises because they are so, so important. Um, Tia, I I think that you had one more question uh, if you want to go ahead. Being a financial person, Alan, is there one piece of financial advice you think everybody, whether that's an individual, business, social venture or not, that they should know? What would you like to share? 
I think the best piece of advice is that good outcomes don't come quickly. Um, uh, don't have your head turned by the headlines of quick success or unicorns. That's what's always in the paper. Who did it fast? Who did it first? Um, the quick sure thing is likely to be mostly hype uh, that may not turn out well. And uh, patience is what's really, really necessary. Um, when you think about um, some of even the most successful companies now, um, they might have been in business for eight years before they became profitable. Um, they probably, you know, were had a quiet life before they became a public company. Um, the uh, things take years, and that's that's kind of hard to come to terms with. But um, slow but steady progress minimizes errors and maximizes the likelihood of success. That's uh, actually a really good piece of advice for our generation, because while you say we en embrace social enterprise, I also feel like our generation's the one that grasps onto, oh, if you didn't like save the world by the time you're 25 or 29, then what are you doing? So. Yes, Tia, you hit it exactly on the nose. It's completely troubling to want to make a difference and want to leave an impact, but not have the means to do so. Uh, so hopefully, you know, things like this podcast, getting invested with other media, getting invested with politics, that can help fill, um, you know, that gap and, and more prevalent to this conversation, hopefully, you know, being a consumer at social enterprises can help people find that fulfillment and can help make the change that so many people want to make. Um, and so, Alan, that all being said, if people are to take one thing away from these podcasts sponsored by social ventures and related to social enterprise. What do you think that is? I think from each podcast, they could should take away an idea on how they can make a difference by the little things they do every day. That was short, sweet, and to the point. Perfect, Alan. Thank you so much for joining us today. Tia and I were very happy to talk with you and to learn more about your experience in social enterprise. And I think that Social Ventures is going to be a great sponsor for CYP Voiced. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Alan. Thanks so much. And don't forget, August 3rd is Position to Prosper, the largest celebration of social enterprise in the state of Ohio. Come see it. Come see the energy. Come see the excitement. Meet some people who will have the same hopes and desires that you have. And that's a wrap on our first career segment. Listeners, thank you so much for joining us. We have done our first cycle of all four C's and we will start back again with conversations next time. Thank you so much. I'm Anthony Granitsis and this has been CYP Voiced.